Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Damien. Hey, thanks for having me back again. Today's topic, Watchmen, the 2009 film directed by Zack Snyder. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. You requested that we did Watchmen, and I think out of everybody that I know, you're the biggest fan. It's, it's a funny thing, because I came to Watchmen late. It's one of those, those comic books where, when, when you're an older comic book reader, the first book people say, have you read Watchmen? And if you said no, they'll shove it in front of you saying, you've got to read this book. And when I read it, it must have been um, late, very late 80s. It would have been very late 80s. Um, and it's blew me away. It was, you know, unbelievably dense and complicated and nuanced. And they said it was unfilmable. For a long time. Yes. I mean, many directors tried. I mean, Terry Gilliam comes to mind. He did. Darren Aronofsky, he was another. Okay. I, I thought he was interested in a fan. I didn't know he was actually going to attempt to make it. And he, but they're just two of many, many people that were listed. And yeah, Zack Snyder is the one that finally put it up on the big screen. Yep. Did you know that Snyder did a, a test of Rorschach um, and dropped it in a 300 trailer? I did read that. Have you actually seen that footage? I did did look it up on YouTube, um, and it is literally not even a split second of a frame of just Rorschach's face in the mask. Right, and okay. It's cut, it's cut into the R-rated version of the, the the Red Band trailer for 300. It's there. Wow. And there was a there was a bet between um, Zack Snyder and his wife. So she, she bet him $100 that no one would notice. And Zach said, I'll take that bet. They'll notice as soon as it's released. And Zach won. Oh, right. People picked it up straight away. That was just test footage. He wanted to test it. So show them how it looked. Before we go any further. Yes. <laughs> I need to get something off my chest. I have never read Watchmen. Wow. I own a copy of Watchmen. And I met the artist, Dave Gibbons. Yep. He signed my copy. And I've just never, never read it. And I've had it for over 10 years. What's, what's holding you back? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I have read some Watchmen comics, mainly before Watchmen. The before Watchmen The prequel comics. comics. And there were some misses in there, but one of the hits for me was Minutemen by Darwin Cook and Amanda Connor. So I've read some Watchmen, just no Alan Moore Watchmen, which, as I say, I know sounds ridiculous. I reckon we should pause this. You should go and read Watchmen, then we'll come back and we'll do it. So I've read the <laughs> comics not written by Moore, and I've seen the movie twice. Okay. First at the cinema, and the second time for this podcast. All right. Having not read the graphic novel, are you aware of the differences between the two? I've heard of the differences over time, and no doubt you'll bring them up. The most, there's a few pertinent ones. We'll, we'll touch on that, I think, later. So I mentioned Alan Moore and artist Dave Gibbons. They were responsible for Watchmen. It was published in 1986. And in 87, it was collected as a graphic novel for the first time. It was. Um, after the 12-issue Maxi series was finished, DC published it as a trade. It has continually been in print since... To, um, since 1987 and we're probably 24 plus printings of it now 
Um, it sold over a million copies worldwide. And I bought one of them. I think we all have. Um, I also believe it was the only graphic novel to be on the Time, is it New York Times top bestsellers list? I'll check my facts. In the original graphic novel, are they actually referred to as Watchmen? They are not. They're not. In the, that's one of the differences in the graphic novel. There's the Minutemen, which is the 1940s superhero team, for want of a better word. Later on, they were going to form a new team, and in the comic, it's called Crime Busters. Right. But it never, it never went ahead. Comedian does what he does, and the, the group meeting disbands. Um, in the, in the, the film, they are very clearly referred to as Watchmen, that, that super team they, that um, Dr. Manhattan, Ozymandias form. And you get the line, who watches who watch the, the Watchmen? Correct. And I did read as well, but I, I need you to help me with this, there is no F-bombs. In the comic. There's no language in the comics. There's so much bad language in, in the movie. A lot of it is the comedian. And ironically, the one character who doesn't swear is Rorschach. Rorschach and, and Ozzy Mandeus. What about Dr. Manhattan? Does he swear? Maybe it is Manhattan. Manhattan and Rorschach. Yes. I'll be back up on that comment and say it's Man Manhattan and Rorschach who don't swear. Don't use F-bombs. Okay, with the movie, it stars a ensemble cast of Maylene Ackerman, Billy Crudup, Matthew Good, Carla Giugano, Jackie Earl Haley, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and Patrick Wilson. And I will say, although Wilson did put on weight for the part, he does look like a superhero in this. He does. He, he fills out the suit rather well. Um, in fact, that's probably one of the, the aesthetic differences that I noticed from the graphic novel to the film. Uh, the modern Night Owl, even in retirement, looks much more fitter than the comic book version. He, he does look like he's, he's gone. Like He looks more like um, Mr. Incredible has let himself out. Um, yeah, so even with Wilson putting on weight, he's still not he's, at that level. He's not at that level, no. Okay, so before we get into our take on the movie then, it was released in both conventional and IMAX cinemas on March 6, 2009 and grossed $55 million on its opening weekend and over $185 million at the worldwide box office. The film polarised fans and critics, the style was praised, but Zack Snyder was accused of making an action film that lacked the subtlety and wit of the comic. And there's been many re-releases of this movie, and I know you've watched all of them, a director's cut with 24 minutes of additional footage was released in July 2009. The ultimate cut edition incorporated the animated comic Tales of the Black Freighter into the narrative and it was in the original graphic novel. So that's something we didn't get in the movie. And that lengthened the runtime to 3 hours and 35 minutes and it was released on November 3rd, 2009. The director's cut was received better than the theatrical release. And in the animated movie, we got Gerard Butler playing the lead. We did. Um, apparently, Zack Snyder promised Gerard a role in the film. And when the casting was filled and there was nothing left for him to do, he got to, to do the voice acting for the, the main um, and protagonist in Black Freighter. It's quite interesting. That the, the, the omission of Black Freighter from the film, the theatrical and director's cut, is probably what removed some of the more human moments from the comic. On the film because the the segues in the comic book of black freighter there's interactions between 
a newsstand operator and a, a kid reading a comic book. You know, it's just occurred to me. I have seen that. I was working in a video store at the time mm. and I rented it. The ultimate. The Black Freighter. All I remember, pirates. Yeah. I can't remember anything else. But yeah, Gerard Butler. Yep. So in, in Australia, Black Freighter was released individually as its own movie. And before the movie came out, they released a motion comic, yes. didn't they? I and did. I think with that, they just had one guy doing both the narration and playing all the characters. Which, for me, made it kind of unwatchable, having a, a male narrator doing all the, the male and female oh, so he's, oh, Well, of course, yeah. Yeah, I kind of said it, didn't I? Yeah, took, he's doing all the characters, it, it even took. Sally Jupiter. But he's putting on, you know, a bit of a higher voice for the female characters. Oh, that sort doesn't of, sound good. <laughs> it took me out of the moment. I found it really hard to watch them. Um, my advice would be don't don't watch the motion comics. Read the book. All right, I'll read it. <laughs> I'll read the book. <laughs> uh, one more thing before we get to the plot of the movie. We're getting a Watchmen TV series very soon. It's going to be on HBO. And at the time of record, I think we're weeks away. We are weeks away. I'm, I'm optimistically excited about the HBO series. I'm, I'm keen to see how they're going to expand on this world in today's modern lens. And it is a sequel, isn't it? Not necessarily to the Snyder movie, but Watchmen in general. Like They're not remaking it again. Like In this, we have a older Ozymandias played by Jeremy Irons. Look, my perception is it's a sequel. I'm, I'm yeah, no, of, mine as well. Yeah. I've been avoiding... Info on it. I, I want to enjoy it. Sort of. And I've thing. seen the trailers, and they're the mainly teasers. Like they're not showing us a lot. We get a glimpse of Doctor Manhattan, which is interesting, and he's blue and glowing. We just see the glow. Expect. We just see the glow. What do you see? It's nobody. It's nobody else. It's not just the blue light in a room. <laughs> but okay, you're optimistic then, and yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, and maybe we'll reconvene and we'll do an episode all about that first season. Yeah. I'm down for that. The plot of the movie. In 1985, where former superheroes exist, the murder of a colleague sends active vigilante Rorschach into his own sprawling investigation, uncovering something that could completely change the course of history as we know it. I mean, Watchmen does that anyway. That opening and many, many things that we see in this film is an alternative reality or alternative history to our own. Yeah, the opening sequence to Watchmen is probably still one of my favourite like, world-building sequences in any film. I think that just in the title sequence, they show you so much of what's going on in the world with, with the flashbacks, especially with the Minutemen. Um, so sort of jumping ahead of what we see with the comedian. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they do a great job and they've got a Bob Dylan track playing over the opening and everything is, is working. But they're showing key moments from our, our actual real past and flipping it in this alternate 1985 history. And there's famous personalities of that time popping up in this movie. There are. Like David Bowie is in yeah. it at one point. You see Ozymandias out front of Studio 54 with who we, we assume is the village people type characters. Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. He's in there. Yep. Um, as you said, David Bowie. There's a lot of uh, Tricky Dick, Richard Nixon. Yep. He features quite prominent. He does. And 
Whatever is on screen. He actually has a lot more to do in the film than he ever does in oh, the comic. Okay. He's only alluded to in the comic. You, you, you see more off-panel than you do like front and centre. Him in particular, whenever he was on screen, I found his makeup very distracting. A lot of the characters are wearing makeup because essentially what Snyder wanted to do was cast actors younger than the characters they were going to play because he said that he found it easier to age them than de-age them. He did. Correct. So a lot of the town were first introduced to Jeffrey Dean Morgan as the comedian. And he's got the grey temples and he's got the age lines. There's a lot of makeup going on. It, it, it worked well for, I felt, the comedian's character because of his facial scarring as well. I mean, so yeah, that adds. Having, yeah. having, having that in, in the makeup means you're sort of less distracted by the fact that they've made him look old. Well, yeah. let's start by talking about the cast then. So Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yes. I think this is the first thing I really noticed him in. Like I know he was the Winchester's dad in Supernatural and he'd done various other projects. But I, this I, was the first time that I really noticed him. I think this might have been his first like film role. He was known in TV prior to this. Yeah. I knew him as Denny from Grey's Anatomy. Oh, he was, he was the, the nice dying man. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> That's who he was. I did read that when he met with Snyder for the part, he was very grumpy at the meeting. Yeah. And in that moment, Snyder thought, yep, he's the guy. He's the comedian. Apparently they, they struggled to find somebody who looked gruff and a bit beaten um, that had the build. And, well, that's yeah. it. Still needs to look heroic. Yeah. I mean, the comedian, start to finish, what an arsehole. <laughs> It really, it really is, and it's supposed to be. Absolutely, he's not supposed to be a likable character, and that's that'd be challenging for any actor to sort of come into that sort of role. Going, I'm playing this 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 mean son of a bitch who has this pretty skewed outlook in, on the world, and and yet you're supposed to empathise with him a bit as well along the way. Like you sort of get under you get under all the characters' skins and what makes them tick. And and I think towards the end you don't see him as his one dimensional character anymore, and I guess it's true for all the characters in, in their arcs in the film. I did enjoy the non linear storytelling. So when you're first introduced to Doctor Manhattan, that's who he is. Yes. And then as the film progresses, you then see it's Billy Grudup playing his human side. Yes. And I'm blanking on his character name. It's John. John. John Os- that's it. John Osterman. <laughs> I remember them calling him John. Yeah, so then you get to see him and, and you're following his journey. Yeah, Manhattan was interesting until I watched it for the first time on the big screen. I knew the character was naked. I just didn't realise that we'd fully see how naked he would be. You, there's a lot of... Yeah. Those black pants that he wears. Yes. Are they in the comics as well? They are. Right, in, okay. I think the biggest difference in, in the comic and in, in the film, there are... In the, in the comic, there there are new panels of Doctor Manhattan, but because there's no motion, you're not seeing anything moving. Right. And so yeah. that's why it, it, it's kind of more of a a, a a visual point in the film because you're seeing a bit of a bit of movement there. Especially when there's and it's very distracting. Multiple uh, Manhattan's like that sex mm. scene with Silk Spectre, and there's all the hands. Yes. And then you see that there's lots of naked Manhattan's yes. just walking around just the place. Around. Well, to someone like Doctor Manhattan. Clothes are redundant. I think visually, they nailed it. And then there's one scene in particular later on in the movie where Ozymandias thinks that he's got the best of him and then the huge hand comes reaching through the ceiling. 
That yeah. was great. I it mean, was... Zack Snyder, let's talk him for a second, and then we'll continue with the cast. I mean, this is what he's known for, big visuals. 300, Watchmen, and then he went on to do Man of Steel, Batman v Superman. He's got Sucker Punch, and I'm sure... Oh, Dawn of the Dead, which Dawn of the Dead. is a, a favourite of mine. Dawn of the Dead would have been before 300. Is it that... was, yeah. 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 Like, I'd say Dawn of the Dead is one of my favourite remakes. I think he's such a good movie. It is a good film, yeah. But that's what he does, big visuals. And this is a very faithful adaption. Like, I do know... That, is it a squid at the end in the comic, or tentacles? It's a psychic... Squid tentacle right, alien okay. so octopus we don't monster. Get that here, and I feel as though that was the right choice. Without reading the comic, I feel as though that was the right choice. But for the most part, what I've heard, he's pretty much put the panels on the screen. He has. He has. The the, the difference between the two endings is Snyder thought that in this in this context of the film having this energy crisis and having um, Ozymandias and Dr. Manhattan working on a way of solving the energy crisis, which might take pressures off the warring parties between Russia and USA and that sort of thing. It then made sense to have this energy be used against the world, i.e. make it Dr. Manhattan's fault that the um, cities were blown up rather than an alien squid from <laughs> I um, I like it as a story point where people in Manhattan's life had been exposed and that's the reason they'd have been exposed to gases and that's why they had cancer and it wasn't to do with him so I like that they set him up for that and he believed it yes because it, he's an all-powerful creature I mean Superman has kryptonite Dr. Manhattan he needs to have an Achilles heel and they found a way of doing that well if if we reveal because there's a mystery going on in Watchmen, and if we reveal early who the villain of the piece is, if we do that now... So you what you reading the comic and then watching the movie, were you just waiting for that reveal, or did you think maybe they'll change it? I, I knew... When I first saw the film in theatres, when it came out, I knew that they changed the ending slightly. I had no idea how, but I thought the thread of who the, the main villain was going to be revealed to be would be the same. And so I was just looking at how the, the, the differences, I was looking for them. But for the most part, I felt that the movie pretty faithfully remade the comic until the end. Even though there, there were subtle changes here and there, I felt like it was, it was a pretty good adaption. We have Ackerman as Silk Spectre. We do. You know, it wasn't until going back and doing prep for this that I realised... I've seen him in quite a few things, and one of them was The Heartbreak Kid, the romantic comedy with Ben Stiller. Okay. She looks very different in everything else that I've seen, and I think she's she's blonde, and obviously in this, she's gone brunette. Okay. And she's got the straight hair. Yeah, I think, I think for me, this film introduced me to all these actors for the first time, apart from a Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who I'd seen previously in Greys. Carla Gugino was in Sin City. But I can't remember if that came out before. Yeah, that was before. That was 2005, I think. There you go. So that's where I'd seen her before. But the, the rest were all new to me. I've since gone on to appreciate the actors in other things. Um, Patrick Wilson was phenomenal in A Season of Fargo. And, of course, you'd know him as Ocean Master and <laughs> Aquaman. Yeah, and also is one of the Warrens in the Conjuring movies. Yep, there you go. And he's in Insidious. He's, he's got a, a big body of work. He has. 
him and Silk Spectre, or should I say Night Owl and Silk Spectre, I really like their relationship after what happened between Silk Spectre and Dr. Manhattan. She's found someone that she can relate to on a human level. And then when they get back to putting on the costumes and they save the people from the building and then later break Rorschach out of prison, visually, the action, phenomenal. One of the best pieces of the score by Tyler Bates. The prison scene. The prison scene. It is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's Snyder sort of in his comfort zone, in his realm, isn't it? That The action sequences that he loves to, to choreograph and, and sort of it really had his trademark spin on it, didn't it? The, what he did there. Yeah, I mean, it's pure Snyder. Like what you know Snyder for now, 300, Watchmen, that's where it all started. You wouldn't want to see Snyder sort of be subdued and, and dial it down, would you? He, he, what he does best is these over-the-top sequences. But I, I think some critics were a bit harsh. I, I, I think there wasn't enough of a human element in the film for you, for you to relate to the characters. You know, over time, I've come to find a lot of love for Man of Steel, and I really enjoy that movie now. But at the time, when I first watched it on the big screen, I didn't quite know how to take it. I enjoyed aspects of it. And revisiting it, Years later, I found a whole new appreciation for it. But I certainly wouldn't watch Watchmen and think, you know what, this guy could do a good Superman. No, you, because you it wouldn't, is a very muted. It's everything's grey. No, but for Watchmen, I, I agree with it you. It works. I, I agree with you there. I'm, I'm, I'm actually a fan of Snyder's Man of Steel as well. I'm, I'm on that side of the fence. I think he did a, an admirable, admirable job making this this film for today's audience. One thing that sticks with me with Man of Steel is I asked somebody what they thought of it. And they, they came away and they said they found it a really noisy film. <laughs> I mean, it is loud. <laughs> I mean, you could probably say that about all Snyder's films. I think <laughs> they they're are, all noisy. They are. But I, I, I get that. The, the third act was very noisy. And I thought maybe that's it. Like there's something in the sound that's too much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is end of the world True. type stuff. I mean, It's not going to sound pretty, <laughs> is it? We've got Matthew Good as Ozymandias, and this is an actor outside of Watchmen I have only seen do dramas. Same. Yeah. And, you know, and he, in he fact, does it well, but I think I didn't casting. Even, I didn't even recognise him in the role until I realised we, you know, sort of looked it up and realised what else he'd done. So there really is some inspired choices with casting here where they've purposely gone to actors that ordinarily you wouldn't see do these types of movies. Absolutely. In fact, when, when Matthew Good um, was offered the role, um, he, he'd not read the script or knew of the graphic novel. He asked a close friend who was aware of these things, like, I've been offered this role in this thing called Watchmen, you know, I haven't read the script, I'm thinking about passing. And the friend said, if you're going to do a superhero film, this is the one to do, accept it. So he actually accepted the role before he'd even read the script or knew what the, the comic was about. And he had no regrets that you know, he did that. Doing the rewatch, I completely forgot that the cat, or whatever it is, Ozymandias' pet, appears. I've seen it in the comics. In the comics, it is still alive. Yes. But in this movie, it gets not so much. It gets sacrificed, yes. Did it die in the comic? Because we're talking third act here where they change things up. No, it doesn't. I'm sure it doesn't. I, I, that's what I remember watching the film. I'm thinking, oh, the, the cat doesn't die in the comic. I'm surprised it's, it, it yeah, dies okay. here. And I guess that's symbolic of his sacrifice you know, by feeling what he'd done, beat, or bite, sorry, bite, feeling 
you know, he wasn't totally detached. Like, if you look at the themes in the film, the theme is this detachment from humanity. Like, humanity's lost touch with itself. Dr. Manhattan's lost touch with humanity. Ozymandias is this guy looking from above, looking down and judging and thinking, I'm going to save you all by, you know, sacrificing 15 million of you. But yet it's trying to show the human side of him where he's willing to make personal sacrifices to save the world as well. So he, he sacrifices his cat by using it as a bit of a lure to get Manhattan into the chamber. And he did appear generally sorry. He didn't necessarily want to do that, but it was the only opportunity he would have to, to take out Manhattan. To try and take him out, yeah. which, as I said earlier, failed. Let's <laughs> talk Jackie Earl Haley as Rorschach. He did a phenomenal job in oh, the role. he did. Um, I he, reckon he is the highlight he is. of the whole movie. He's, he's a fan favourite character. I think if you go to conventions, you'll probably see more people dressing up as Rorschach than any other Watchmen. Um, and it's like when you cast an actor as Spider-Man, as soon as they put on that costume, they, they are the, only look yeah. like Spider-Man. Mm. Every time. You put the Rorschach costume on Jackie O'Haley, he looks just like Rorschach. He does. It was pitch perfect. And with awesome. the, the Rorschach mask, did the spots move around in the comic or was that something they did for the film? No, it, it, it does. There's actually more origin story to Rorschach in the comic and the story has it that the the fabric he uses to make his mask is a, a custom-made fabric that was for a designer dress and it was like two it had actual moving in something like liquid between two sheets of oh, right. of like plastic material and so he actually used um heated scissors to cut it so it would seal it and the oozy stuff the blotchy stuff wouldn't leak out so that when he puts the mask on it actually does move so in in the comic book you see the pattern the Rorschach patterns in different configurations in different panels to show that it's moving but of course it's much more um apparent in the film and a very cool looking visual when, when you're introduced to it oh it's really cool yeah whenever his mask is moving i'm just, my eyes are following around the black dots yes yeah yes. visually it's it's probably one of the best visuals of the movie yeah, and he's just wearing his standard trench coat. He's got his hat. Yep. And yeah, the design of his costume just works perfectly. And I guess while we're on Jack, Jackie Earl Haley, he was the only cast member to be familiar with the source material before. And he, he actively wanted to get the role. He wanted to be Rorschach. And I did read that he's got a black belt in a form of martial arts, but he, he purposely chose not to use it because he wanted Rorschach to be more of a street-level, street yep. scrappier fighter. Yep. Which I think it's just working on all cylinders for me. Hmm. When I first watched it, I didn't realise, because it, we get him take the mask off towards the end, and he pops up throughout the whole movie. He's, he's, he's always watching He's them. always there. He's always there in, My second in, in viewing, the background or the foreground or, yeah. I knew, so I, I could see each time that he popped up and I loved it. But the first time, yeah, I had no idea that that was him until we get him to the prison and he's getting his mask taken off. So that's the same experience you have in the comic. When you're reading the comic, um, you, you don't know what Rorschach looks like um, until he's caught by the police and unmasked. So that's revealed in the comic as well, which is very cool. So we've talked about a couple of the costumes. I mean, I think they did a great job. Yeah. I think the... The costumes, though, in different to the comic book versions, were a, a very good compromise in, in adapting for film. Um, like this, both Silk Spectre costumes look very different to their comic book versions. 
Um, you, can, you can sort of see this in some of the, the the film companion books if you want to dive deep or, or the art of. I mean, Sally Jupiter is certainly more lingerie in the movie. Yes, yes. But she, she, her character uses sexuality to, to put her, you know, when she's fighting crime criminals and that, she uses that against them because one of them actually confessed, I had her in my sights. This is sort of in the comic behind the scenes. But because the way she looked, I couldn't bring myself to pull the trigger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, that's a good trick. Yeah. So, distracted. You know, when we're talking about the first appearances of the characters, I guess one thing we didn't touch on is the fact that originally this Watchmen, it was going to be a story that did feature DC Comics characters. And purposely, it was Alan Moore, the writer, that was looking to feature characters from Charlton Comics who had been purchased by DC. So that was characters like Captain Atom, uh, was Black Canary in there? If you do the, the comparison... Um, Night Owl was based on Blue Beetle. Rorschach was was based on The Question and also uh, an original Steve Ditko creation called Mr. A. The Comedian was based on the Charlton Comics character Peacemaker. Ozymandias on a character called Thunderbolt. As you said, um, Dr. Manhattan was based on Captain Adam. And Silk Spectre 2, so the... Laurie, the Laurie Jupiter version, the, the modern version, she was initially based on Nightshade, but then more so Phantom Lady and Black, oh, Black Canary. Right. Okay, yeah, I always got the Black yeah. Canary yeah. comparison. But there was Black Canary in there with the fishnets and, and some of the costume. But it was somebody at details. DC that just said, hang on a minute, what are you planning on doing with our characters? And on the back of that, Alan Moore had to then come up with original characters, but based on those yeah. other characters' traits. They're, they're all archetypes of superheroes we know and recognise. I reckon DC saying no was one of the best things that could have happened for Watchmen and just had it just stand out as be as unique as it is. Like, who cares about Captain Atom today, really? More people are going to be familiar with Dr. Manhattan they than Captain be. Atom. They would be. I think... They have used Captain Atom in, in DC. Um, it's comics. rare that he gets his own book and no, he's... No, come on. No, come on. They, they used him a bit in Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, a little bit so in a cartoon. There'll be some out kids out there who know who Over Captain 10 years Adam ago, <laughs> they used him in that. And again, I know, I know the character, yeah. but I just think having to create original characters was a benefit to the story. And, and it's one of the many things that has... Watchmen stand out to this day, even though it's a comic that is still published by DC. It's very much got its own identity. It, it has. It's 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 become its own franchise, hasn't it? Really, we've, we've had sequels. We've now got a TV show. Um, and DC Comics now they're still telling the story. Doomsday Clock, Jeff Johns are. and Gary Frank on art. Yes, a twelve issue maxi series. Are you reading that? I am reading that. Yeah, I'm, again, like, I only read Watchmen comics, yeah. not written by Alan Moore. I'm, I'm <laughs> quite enjoying Doomsday Clock. I'm looking forward to the last issue coming out when it comes out. Um, I, I've quite enjoyed the before Watchmen comics for the most part. Um, I, I like, I like how DC will experiment. And I think um, they first introduced Watchmen into the DC universe through. Um, Rebirth, I believe. Yeah, and then they did Rebirth, the uh, the the button. I think the four part special between Batman and the Flash. The button, and then where the uh, comedian's button appeared in the Batcave. Yeah, 
and in Doomsday Clock, somehow Bruce Wayne gets Rorschach's journal, things like that. So I'd be interested to see, you know what? When Doomsday Clock is over, I will go on record here and say, I will read Watchmen. All right. And when we do our Watchmen HBO episode, I would have read Watchmen. You'll, you'll be able to comment on the graphic novel. But just one more thing with the, the costumes, though. It's interesting that you say Night Owl is Blue Beetle because, of course, he's got the flying bug, he's got the, the tech. But in this design more so, I do get Batman. Yeah, it, it's sort of the, the, the movie version is certainly a nod to Batman with the tech and the gadgetry and the cave or yeah, the owl sanctuary, whatever you want to call it. And the Justice League movie that ended up being credited to Joss Whedon as director started with Zack, Zack Snyder. Snyder. Do you think he held on to the Night Owl goggles from the Watchmen set and gave them to Ben Affleck? Because when you get that updated Batsuit in Justice League, you it can't looks help but see a this, lot like Night Owl. There's certainly a lot of similarities there. I, I agree. Uh, maybe it's just an aesthetic that works on, on the face, having the, the angled goggles. I mean, the special effects, like we've talked quite a bit about them already. I mean, for the most part, like... The effects are working. I mean, this is CGI action from 2009. It's and it's ten still... Years, 10 years old now. Still holds up for the most part. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think um, the approach that they utilised in the film, um, the decisions they made for some of the CGI effects, especially with Manhattan and the blue glow, um, it feels organic when you watch the scenes. The way, I believe, Billy Crudup was wearing motion capture soup that was also illuminated so that the blue light was coming off him which illuminated his environment which made it look natural so the blue light on actors faces and his surroundings were actually coming off the actor's suit right to give it that glow rather than adding it later Just adding it after the fact mm. yeah I, again like it does not play like a movie from 10 years ago no it, it, it feels like it could have just come out last year i was a bit worried like watching it again recently how I'd feel about it with a not watching it for a few years. It wasn't until the rewatch that I realised it's the standard cut is two hours, 42 minutes. It's a long film. And that's just the standard cut. And I mentioned with the extras, it, this movie can go up to three and a half hours. Yep. I think there's merit to the ultimate cut where they intersperse the animated Black Freighter into the, the film. And there were sequences done and it feels quite organic. And... The most important parallel with the Black Freighter story is that it, it shows simplistically that this guy who thinks he's doing the right thing and he's desperately trying to get back to his family, but he's doing horrific things to get back to his family because of his circumstances, it parallels um, Ozymandias' character who's prepared to do terrible things to save the world. So that was the parallel. That's why the Black Freighter comic was in the original Watchmen Story to show that, that 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 parallel, but I guess the other connection there is that the writer of the Black Freighter comic within the comic of Watchmen was also somebody Ozymandias in the comic employed to come up with the idea of what would invade America oh, as an alien. So the writer of the Black Freighter came up with that story. They employed artists and visualization people to come up with you know what's going to be the most horrific thing to terrorize people. They were cloning psychic brains on mass to have this massive psychic brain appear in the squid i mean it's out there stuff and of course only a comic book writer could come up with that sort of idea i mean 
some of the special features that I've read, there's one that's like a 60 minute style expose on some of the characters. Under the hood. Is that what that is? Yes. Oh, that's what you're talking under the hood. Yeah, but yes. the so they added a lot of special features to the Blu-ray to give it a fuller experience, closer to, I guess, what you'd have got from the original graphic novel. Because a movie can only give you so much. That's right. I think in reading one of them, in reading behind the scenes, Zack Snyder realised that to make the Watchmen a film, you have to cut out content to make it short enough to be a film. Otherwise, um, you're looking at a four or five hour film, which is what Terry Gilliam said. He felt like he couldn't make Watchmen as a film. It needed to be four to six hours long. So that's why he bowed out because he says it's unmakeable as a film. Whereas Zack Snyder went, no, it's not. You just need to cut this, this and this out. But he didn't want to ignore it altogether. So he did these under the hood um, documentaries or extra features. He did Black Friday as a standalone animated feature. Um, and he, all these things. Even in the under the hood documentary, there's commercials peppered throughout it. Like they pretend to go to a commercial break, but there's a commercial for um, Nostalgia Perfume, which is a, <laughs> which is a Vite... Um, product there's the commercial for a casio timepiece watch of course at all times into the ties into the time theme of clocks and watches and minutemen and all that is he's he, i think he did an ample job of of recreating the world and if you if you do dive in and sort of check out the ultimate cut or check out all these behind the scenes stuff you are you do get the graphic novel experience you do i'll read the comic and then i'll reevaluate. maybe yeah. i'll do a deep dive it's a long read. Sometimes the, the, the single issues of comics, they, they're that dense. It could take you 30-plus minutes to get through an issue. So well, it's the nine-panel grids that Watchmen yep. was famous for. Yes. And that's what Jeff Johns and Gary Frank have Done with replicated Clock. with Doomsday Clock. So that can also be a long read. Yes. But occasionally Superman pops up, which I like. Yeah. <laughs> with, uh, with the music, I mentioned there's there's so many singers featured on this soundtrack but the score we do have tyler bates if you're unfamiliar with his work much of it is in the action and horror film genres with films like dawn of the dead 300 sucker punch and the john wick franchise and out of those movies i've just listed other than john wick all Zack snyder movies true i think he did one of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, maybe the second one, and Deadpool 2. He definitely did that one. Okay. So action horror, that's where this guy sits. And yeah, does a good job. Yeah, I like the score. It worked well. I like the choice of songs in the film as well. Um, very much of its time. Um, what surprised me was how effective the 99 Luff Balloon song was in the film. Yeah, it works really well. Okay, I'm really curious... What your rating is going to be, Damien. We jump into the score. I have a feeling, I already know, but if you're going to rate this movie out of five? Uh, it's no surprise. I, I'm going to rate it pretty high. I, I'm a big fan of the film. Um, it still stands as one of my favourite comic-to-film adaptions, even ten years after it's come out. Um, I'm going to not give it a perfect score, but just underneath, four and a half out of five. Okay, I'm going to come in a little bit lower. Um, you know, I've mentioned the things that I do like about it. But I'm going to come in at a three. There's times where the movie did did drag for me. And I get that 
he needs a lot of time to tell this story. You mentioned the parts that he had to take out to save time. But there's things that I liked, things that I didn't. We're getting a lot of good performance in here. The visuals are there. But yeah, it's, it's a movie that I did enjoy for the most part as this rewatch. Uh, but it's not something I'm planning on going back and watching anytime soon. If anything, he just wanted me to see a Justice Society of America movie. Okay. When we get the flashbacks to the Minutemen. I'll ask you to reconsider your score after you've read the graphic. Yeah, novel. I mean, my score's my score. Yep. It's official. It's but official. Right. It's like, you know, my, my opinion could change after mm. reading the comic. Uh, but yeah, I think the fact that I found the movie long... Oh, that's the thing. The attempted rape scene. Was that actually a rape scene in the comic? It was. I did feel like the comic would have gone further than the movie. I'm glad the movie didn't go that way. And we find out that comedian no, is the, the movie, Silk Spectre's dad. The movie does go a bit more hardcore than the comic did. Oh, really? Yeah. But the movie, it stopped. It did stop. It doesn't go all the way. It does get stopped. Right, okay. In so the it comic, always gets stopped in the, the comic. comic. The Hood of Justice stops it in the comic as well. Right, okay. So but I thought maybe... It was an attempt. It was an yes, attempt. Yes, I thought maybe the comic would have taken it further. No. And I was very, very relieved in this movie that it didn't go all the way as well that it was interrupted mm. okay yeah so we've got a 4.5 and a 3 out of 5 that's it for our episode all about Watchmen if you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast Damien thank you for being on the show today thanks for having me as always thanks for tuning in we'll see you next time